to be Christians, you shouldn't be Second Amendment is still part of our Constitution. There's no excuse for bigotry. And we need to protect their rights. Breaking news out of Minneapolis today as the Hennepin County attorney ruled to not Islam is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power. The idea of global warming is a shouldn't be posting hate speech, period. Everyone yelling at each other actually started praying for each other that something might actually change. There's no excuse for the idea of what they want. Islam is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power to stop America everybody, welcome to Eagle Brook. It's really good to have you with us this weekend, whether you're at one of our campuses or you're watching this message online someplace. I got an email a couple weeks ago from a girl who's studying in Florence, Italy for the next four years, and she started to invite some friends over to her apartment to watch the Eagle Brook message every weekend. And so it just reminds me that there's people all around the world who are joining us right now. I want to welcome those of you in Florence, Italy as well. We are in the second week of a series called Culture Clash because our culture clashes about a lot. Watch the news, scroll through any social media feed, and you will soon discover that there are a lot of people who disagree with one another. I was scrolling through a social media feed recently, and I found argu arguments and articles about immigration, gun laws, racial tension, protests, violent protests, tax plans, and which presidential candidate would be the best for our country. Some of the com comments were civil, but many of them were harsh and filled with strong tones of sarcasm. Now, the answer that our culture gives to all of this is one word, tolerance. We need to be more tolerant and less intolerant. That's the argument anyway, which is why I've titled today's message, Tolerance or Intolerance. And we're going to try to answer the question, how should I treat people with whom I disagree? I disagree with people all the time. In fact, about a month ago, our family drove down to Florida for spring break. We partially went for the warm weather, but we mostly went so that I could eat at a Waffle House. <laughs> if you've heard me speak before, you know I love me some Waffle House. Comedian Jim Gaffigan says that if you've never been to a Waffle House before, just picture a gas station bathroom that sells waffles. <laughs> and that may be true, but let me tell you, those waffles are very tasty. We stopped once when we were in Florida, we stopped again on the way home, and when we stopped on the way home, I had thought I had kind of figured out what everybody in the family was going to order. Just about to place our order with the waitress, when my four-year-old son Jasper said, I want a salad. I said, what? He said, I want a salad. I said, trust me, buddy, you don't want a salad. I said, you want a waffle. They're going to bring that thing out and there's going to be a tub on top. And at first, you're going to think, I don't know if that's enough syrup for me. And then you're going to open it and realize that's the butter. And it's on after that, boy. He said, I want some salad. I said, listen here, smarty pants. What's the name of this restaurant? It's not called the salad house. It's called the waffle house. What should that tell you? If this was the Asian sesame chicken salad house, well, then you might be on to something. But at the Waffle House, you order a waffle. He said, I want a salad. So I ordered him a salad. Here's a picture of him on the side screens <laughs> eating a salad at the Waffle House. And for two days in a row, I called him Salad Man. You know, what are you doing, Salad Man? How are you doing, Salad Man? 
Now, this is probably the biggest disagreement that Jasper and I have ever gotten into in our life. And although I do feel pretty passionate that he made a major mistake at a young age, (laughs) I don't think any permanent damage was done on this one. But what happens if Jasper and I start to disagree about weightier matters? What happens if he turns 18 and he comes home one day and he says, Dad, Mom, I I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. That was just something you guys kind of pushed on me. I I don't think there's anything unique about Jesus. All religions can lead to God. In fact, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're spiritual and you treat people well. Or what happens if he comes home and says, you know that whole marriage thing that Jesus talks about? One man, one woman, united forever. Yeah, I don't think that's true. We're way more progressive these days. I'm not buying into some repressive sexual ethic like that. I mean, people ought to be able to sleep with who they want whenever they want to. Some of you know what that feeling is like. You have had some deep disagreement with your parents this past year. Or maybe with your children. Or another family member. And so this is personal for you. And you wonder, how can we move on past those disagreements? For others of you, the disagreement isn't so much in your home as it's with your fellow Americans. How can they vote for that candidate? How can they believe that, think that, or support that? I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he was telling me about a chapel that took place at a Christian high school. And he was telling me how offended some of the students were by this message. I said, well, what was the topic? He said it was about the differences between Christianity and other world religions. I said, well, there is differences between Christianity and other world religions. I mean, for example, Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. They think that Judas swapped out for him somehow. Hindus, they believe Jesus was a wise man, maybe reincarnated into a higher caste system even, but he wasn't the son of God. And Christians believe that he was a real person who came from a town called Nazareth, who died on a cross, and then three days later, he died or rose again to pay for our sins and overcome death. I said, what's so offensive about that? Any intellectually honest person knows that there's some differences between different religions. He said, I don't know. Some people just thought it was intolerant, I guess. The word intolerance has become kind of a buzzword in our culture today. But what's interesting is when you look at how the definition of that word has changed in just about the last 25 years or so. See, it used to mean that the word tolerance meant you had a disagreement with someone, but you were respectful towards them. The word tolerate implied as much. You don't have to tolerate somebody you agree with. You tolerate their disagreement, but you did so with humility and with respect. In other words, tolerance was really about your tone and about your attitude. But in the last 25 years or so, that definition has begun to shift a little bit. And these days, you might be considered intolerant if you hold to certain beliefs. For example, if I say, you know, I think Jesus is the only way to heaven. Or if you say, you know, I have some certain beliefs about marriage or gender. You're likely to be labeled as intolerant, no matter how loving and respectful your tone might be. Now, here's what's odd about this for me. If I say to another person, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and they respond back, you are such an intolerant bigot. Have they been tolerant of me? Well, no. They've been just as intolerant, if not more. They're just intolerant over different stuff. They're just intolerant towards different people, namely, in this case, people who happen to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
In fact, I've found that some of the most intolerant people are the ones who get super angry and go on a rant about how intolerant everyone else is. They contradict themselves. It's like when someone says, don't impose your beliefs on me. Well, didn't you just impose your belief? Namely, that other people shouldn't impose their beliefs onto me? Or when someone says, you know, you're intolerant because you don't accept all beliefs as equally valid. Well, do you accept my belief as equally valid? You just sawed off the limb you were sitting on. Let me try to give you a visual picture of this so you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Several years ago, the New Age author Deepak Chopra was in a debate on ABC's Nightline program. And at one point during this debate, he made the statement that anytime you say you believe something, it's just a cover-up for your own insecurities. So anytime you say, well, this is what I believe, you're just covering up your own insecurities. He just sawed off the limb he was sitting on. Take a look at the side screens. <laughs> Very witty question. Here's the thing, the new definition of intolerance, it actually contradicts itself, therefore it cannot be true. That's why I like what author Tim Keller has to say about this. He says, tolerance is about how you treat people with whom you disagree. Doesn't mean that you can't hold to certain beliefs. Everybody holds to certain beliefs. Doesn't mean you can't even passionately disagree with people who hold to different beliefs than you do. Because tolerance isn't about your beliefs so much as it's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people with whom you disagree. And so that's the question I want to raise today. How should we treat people with whom we disagree? I'm talking about Democrats versus Republicans, liberals versus conservatives. I'm talking about Christians who you disagree with theologically or who just rub you the wrong way. I'm talking about your coworker, your neighbor, your boss. I'm talking about private school versus public school versus home school. I'm talking about cloth diapers versus disposable diapers. <laughs> to vaccinate or not vaccinate, breastfeed or bottle feed, stay-at-home parents versus both parents working. I'm talking about grass-fed, no GMOs, no antibiotics versus uh, they know your first name at McDonald's. And all the other things that people disagree about in our culture today. How do you treat people with whom you disagree? To answer that question, I want to take you to a verse from the Bible that I believe that our generation needs more than ever before. The verse is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But before I get to the verse, I want to set a little bit of context for you. Peter writes this letter, and look at what he says in the first verse. He says, God's chosen people, so he's talking to followers of Christ, who are living as foreigners in the lands of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia. Notice that he says this word, foreigners. They were living among people whom they had some differences with. In fact, a little bit later in 1 Peter, it talks about how they were persecuted for their faith. So not only were they living among people that they had differences with, but they had some deep disagreement with them. It's kind of like the melting pot that we live in today. And so with that in mind, look at what Peter says in verse 15. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I see at least two ways that we should treat people 
who we disagree with, both from this verse. The first one is this. Be ready to give an answer. If someone were to approach you after church today, and they said, hey, why do you believe in Jesus Christ? What would you say? If someone said, you know, why do you trust the Bible? How would you respond? If someone asked you, why do you have a hope of eternal life? What would your answer be? Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Growing up, I didn't attend church. I didn't go to church until I was a freshman in college. And so I wasn't a follower of Christ. But then I went off to college, and for the first time, I started to realize that I wasn't a good person. See, that was always what I kind of fell back on. I'm, I'm a good person. I'll go to heaven as a result. But I realized that, yeah, compared to other people, I might be good. But compared to the perfection of God, I fell way short. I also realized that without a relationship with God, my life would lack a certain meaning and purpose. And so I started to ask the other Christians who I knew questions. Questions like, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, come on, that, that's kind of hard to believe. Or, or why do you trust the Bible? Why not the Quran or some other ancient book? You want to know the answer that I got from most people? Uh, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, my parents told me once, uh, uh, you know, I, I think my church teaches that uh, you just have to have faith. Yep, that's it. You just have to have faith. But that didn't cut it for me. Why did I just have to have faith? And faith in what? Faith in Jesus? Faith in myself? Faith in a higher power? Faith in Allah? I mean, what does that really mean? I was shocked by how many college-age Christians who had grown up going to church their whole life didn't know the answer to why they believed in Christ. And so to find some answers, I began to read. I read Lee Strobel's book, Case for Faith and Case for Christ. Lee was a former atheist. He worked as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he used his journalism training and his skeptical personality to interview some of the leading scholars around the world today on questions like, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is the Bible reliable? And if God is all-powerful and all-good, how come there's so much suffering and evil in the world today? I started to listen to tapes, yes, tapes, by a guy named Ravi Zacharias, Ravi had grown up in Madras, India, and he was an atheist until 17, at which time he attempted suicide by ingesting poison. He saw no reason to live. But as he saw, sat in that hospital bed, uh, one of the hospital workers brought him a Bible, and he opened up to John chapter 14, and he read the words of Christ that say, because I live, you also will live. And Ravi thought, if Jesus Christ lives, not just lived, but if he lives, that changes everything. And so he went on a truth quest. And today he lectures at Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, all the top universities on the existence of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. He's brilliant. I used to listen to his podcast, Let My People Think, whenever I could. And not only did this help me in my own truth quest, but it prepared me to give an answer to people who want to know, why do you have this hope in Jesus Christ? In fact, last year, I met with an atheist for over two hours at our White Bear Lake campus. And for two hours, he grilled me on questions about the Gnostic Gospels and how Noah's Ark could possibly be true and the Big Bang Theory. And for two hours, I tried to give him intelligent answers. Now, at the end of this time, he did not put his faith in Christ. But he did say to me, I never knew that Christians had good answers for these questions. 
See, he had just thought that everybody who was a follower of Christ, they were so because their parents had told them to believe that. He said, I just thought people were brainwashed by their parents. It was the only explanation he had. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Now, I realize that some of you who like to read and who like to learn, like I do, are invigorated by this. But for others of you, this is like your nightmare. And so let me just say this to you. You don't have to know the answer to every question, but you do have to know the answer to one or two questions. At least know why you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, because everything hinges on that one. In fact, a couple of years ago, we did a series here at church called I've Always Wondered. And in that series, we tackled some of these questions. Go back, listen to that series, take some notes, prepare yourself, and then don't be afraid to say to another person, I don't know the answer to that, but could we study that together? I say that to people all the time. If I'm still asking too much of some of you, then just remember this, nobody can argue with a changed life. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can say is just to talk about how God has worked in your own life. Now, some of you are listening to all this about answers, and you're a little bit suspicious. Because we live in a culture that tends to be suspicious of answers. Answers are rigid. Who are we to say that we have the answers? But that mindset kind of reminds me of an old Saturday Night Live skit. If you remember the Jack Handy's Deep Thoughts, They did a Jack Handy's deep thought one time that was this way. Instead of having answers on a math test, they should call them impressions. And if you got a different impression, so what? Can't we all just be brothers? (laughs) That is the world we live in today. Nobody's wrong. Everybody just has a different impression. And anybody who says otherwise might be labeled as intolerant. But is that really tolerance? In fact, this might surprise you a little bit, but the Bible says that there are some things we should tolerate and some things we should not. Look at a few of these verses with me. Psalm 101. God is speaking and he says, I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. Psalm 5. Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. And then in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to a church. And he says, nevertheless... I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. In other words, God doesn't tolerate everything. doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate false teachers who lead other people into sexual sin. He's intolerant of those, and he calls us to be the same. Now, I realize that last thought might be hard for some of you to agree with. So let me try to seal the deal by showing you that you do this already. For example, no need to raise any hands, but how many of us here think we should tolerate Nazism? Ku Klux Klan? Child abuse? I, I didn't think so, because we all instinctively know that there are some things we should tolerate and some things that we should not. And so the question is not... Should, am I tolerant or am I intolerant? The question is, am I tolerant and intolerant of the right things? We should not tolerate injustice to minorities or to the unborn. We should not tolerate a greed that destroys the environment or a New Age movement that destroys people's souls and leads them away from faith in Christ. 
But the first way to treat someone that you disagree with is be prepared. Be ready to have an intelligent answer for why you believe what you believe. Second way that we should treat those who we disagree with is this. Do so with gentleness and respect. Again, what Peter says. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But then look at what he says next, because it's not just about the answer. It's not just about being right. Lord, have mercy if we don't love people well, because we're so concerned with winning an argument or an election. Because look at what Peter says, very next verse. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's tolerance. And that is my hope for our church and for our country. Can we hold to what we believe is true? Can we be free to speak about what we believe is true without immediately being judged or labeled as intolerant, insensitive, or hateful? But can we do so with gentleness and respect? Gentleness means without anger, means without name-calling, it means in a tone that's soft and not harsh. Without anger means, that, or without, with respect rather, means that I remember that this person that I disagree with, they are made in the image of Almighty God himself. And they have infinite value and worth to him. It means that I try to understand your viewpoint and I even empathize with why you believe what you believe instead of immediately calling for you to be fired, censored, or dismissed. Let me put a little flesh on this for you. Several years ago, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, was asked by a reporter for his views on marriage. And Cathy said, well, I, I'm influenced by Jesus on this, but I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. And that comment sparked a highly publicized and organized protest of Cathy, his views about the Bible, and his company, which was boycotted by many. But what didn't immediately make the media coverage was how Kathy responded to people who disagreed with him. See, very quietly and privately, he reached out to his strongest critic, a gay activist by the name of Shane Winmeyer. And we wouldn't even know what happened in this conversation except Winmeyer himself wrote an article in the Huffington Post. And I want to read an excerpt of this article to you that Winmeyer wrote. He said this, it's not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. Never once did Dan Cathy ask our organization to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, he listened intently to our concerns. He sought first to understand instead of to be understood. Cathy offered no apologies about his genuine beliefs about marriage, nor did he change his position. But his demeanor was one of respect, kindness, and openness. Deep disagreement. No apologies for that disagreement. Not necessarily changing your convictions. Friendship, love, gentleness, and respect. All at the same time. By the way, Mr. Winmeyer displayed those exact same characteristics by writing an article that was so kind and honoring of a man that he disagreed with. And if you're here today and you might be new to our church or you might be even new to faith in Christ or you're not even sure if you have faith in Christ, I would say to you, you display those same characteristics. 
by coming and listening to a position that might be really different than your own. Look what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 4. It says, Live wisely among those who are not Christians and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and effective so that you will have the right answer for everyone. Notice the same connections as the verse in Peter. He says, have the right answer for everyone, but how should you deliver that answer? With graciousness, with effectiveness, anger and rudeness, shouting and yelling, put-downs and name-calling. Those are not gracious, nor are they effective. They're also not very persuasive. My friend David Clark is the president of Bethel Seminary over in St. Paul. And many years ago, he was giving a lecture at a Barnes & Noble. And he was lecturing on the existence of God, but he was speaking to a mixed audience. There were some people there who were followers of Christ. They believed in the existence of God. But then there were some secularists who did not believe in the existence of God. And so at one point during this lecture, he was trying to make the point that anytime you say something is morally wrong, you've taken a step towards believing in the existence of God. How else can you say that something's morally wrong from an objective point of view unless there's a God outside of humanity who says so? Otherwise, it's just your opinion or your culture's opinion of what's right and what's wrong. Now, David could have used several examples to illustrate this. He could have talked about marriage, could have talked about sexual relationships, and guess what these secularists would have done? They would have rolled their eyes. Here we go. Another Christian talking about marriage, talking about sexual relationships, typical. Instead, here's what he said. He said, wouldn't you all agree that it's morally wrong to destroy the environment? Wouldn't you all agree that it's morally wrong to be homophobic? To hate someone or direct violence or hate speech towards another person just because of their sexual orientation? And as he was delivering these examples, one of the secularists in the back turned to his friend. He goes, he's using all our stuff. (laughs) Now, what did David do? He found common ground. He was able to make his point in a way that was both, both gracious and effective. And that's just with people outside of the faith. Ever read what the Bible says about how Christians should treat one another? Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 13. He says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He's not talking to humanity here. He's talking to his followers. And he says, How you treat one another, the love and the unity you have with each other, it will say something to the world at large. Here's the deal. I feel more unity with a person who doesn't share my skin color, but who shares my faith in Christ, than I do with somebody who shares my skin color, but does not share my faith in Christ. I feel more unity and more connection with a person from a different country or culture who loves Jesus Christ than I do someone who shares my country, but not my love for Christ. I feel more unity with a person who has different political viewpoints than my own, but who has put their faith in Christ than I do a person who votes the way I do but has not put their faith in Christ. And my reason for sharing this is that my commitment to Jesus Christ comes above every other commitment in my life. That's why I believe that Jesus is the most unifying person who has ever lived. Some of you hear that and you go, wait, wait, wait a minute, what? 
There's been nothing greater than religion that has caused wars and division in the world today. And I would say to you, yes, at times religion has done that. But the man Jesus Christ has brought together men and women, blacks and whites, Jews and Gentiles, like no other political candidate or ideology has ever been able to do. Here's one more verse for you from Colossians 3. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Christians ought to be the least offended people on the planet. When everybody else is walking around going, I can't believe you said that. I'm so offended that you would believe that or you would say that. We ought to be the least offended people. We ought to be forgiving those who have offended us. And not just forgiving them, but showing them genuine love. One of my wife's best friends is named Missy. And when Missy was in college, one of her other friends told her that she was contemplating having an abortion. And Missy believed that an abortion violates the value that God places on every human life. And so she pleaded with her friend not to go through with this. In fact, they stayed up all night talking. And she was pleading with her friend, you know, give this baby a chance to live like you've had a chance to live and put it up for adoption or do what you have to do. Her friend did not listen. Her friend went ahead and had the abortion anyway. In her case, with this abortion, there was some complications, and so the doctors put her on bed rest for several days. And when she laid down in her dorm room, she wondered, how am I going to get myself some food and some water? How am I going to get to the bathroom even? You see, her parents had told her that they supported her. They said, we'll support you in whatever you do. But they were so busy with work, they didn't have time to come and take care of her. And her roommate had said, you know, it's cool. You, you, you do whatever you want. I'm, I'm with you. But she was so busy with her boyfriend that she didn't have time to take care of her friend. Just then, there was a knock on the door. It was Missy. She had come to take care of her friend. She had taken the day off. Her friend said, I can't believe it. Of all the people who would have compassion and come to take care of me, it was my Christian friend who disagreed with me in the first place. She experienced the genuine love from someone who disagreed with her. And maybe it was that kind of genuine love that would be the first step towards her considering a relationship with God. Look what Peter says again. He says, always be prepared. Are you prepared? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Even if you're not a follower of Christ, do you know why you believe that? Have you studied that? Have you thought about that? But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, do you know why you believe these things? Can you give an intelligent answer to some person who wants to know? Why do you have that hope in eternal life? He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But then he says, but do this with gentleness and with respect. I'm actually excited about the direction that our world is going. Some of you might say, well, you're the only one. But I would say I'm excited about this because I believe that like never before, a person who has genuine convictions but who holds those convictions with gentleness and respect will stand out from the crowd. And we will have an opportunity to invite neighbors and friends and coworkers into a relationship with Jesus Christ that will bring them more purpose, meaning, joy, and peace than anything that this world has to offer. And so let me ask you, 
Is there a person in your life who you disagree with? I'm guessing that there is. Are you prepared to give an intelligent answer for why you believe what you believe? But are you ready? Have you prayed that you could do so with gentleness and respect? In fact, let's do that right now at all of our campuses. Would you join me and stand together in prayer? God, I pray for that person who came to church today who isn't really sure what they believe about you or about Jesus. And God, I pray that they know this is a safe place to explore some of those questions and that they can belong here before they believe. They don't have to believe everything we believe to belong to this place. I pray that they would experience genuine love even if we disagree with them on certain issues. God, I pray, though, that they would, as they begin to explore what they believe and why they believe it, that they would be introduced to a relationship with you and that they would find that you love them and you know them and you care about them and you want to be a big part of their life. And God, I pray for those of us who have put our faith in you. God, I pray we're prepared, that we've taken the time to read or to listen or to study, to think through why do we believe what we believe so that we can actually give an intelligent answer if you give us the opportunity to talk about that. But God, I pray that our church is known as a church of gentleness and respect. And even though we may hold to our convictions and even though we may disagree on some issues, even with each other, but that we would be known as people who are full of gentleness and full of respect for those who we disagree with. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.